Live from Guttercat Studios in the Metaverse, it's time for another episode of the Crazy About Crypto Show. And now here's your host, Crazy Carl. Hey, yo, what is going on? Welcome to the show. This space is already popping. Thanks for being here. And if you're listening to the podcast, hello from all around the world and welcome to the Crazy About Crypto Show, an interactive live podcast on Twitter Spaces for anyone exploring crypto and wanting to learn from others that have already dived into the space. From NFT artists to savvy crypto investors to everyday people just like you and I, this is a place where we can come together and learn about this new wave of innovation. Today, I'm honored to have a crypto OG on the stage with me. Graduating from Harvard with a physics degree and then transitioning to Stanford for his PhD in computer science, he has constantly shown curiosity and a pursuit for learning from an early age. And it doesn't stop there. His OG experience in the crypto realm speaks for itself from being the founder of Stanford Bitcoin Meetup back in 2013 to co-founding MyCoin, the largest digital asset exchange in Taiwan. One, to creating the first analytics tool used by the U.S. Secret Service. Oh, and on top of that, he co-founded the first on-chain PFP project created in a single transaction on-chain monkey. Without further ado, it's my honor to share the stage with a legend building in the background, Danny Yang. What is going on, Danny? Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, love to be here and chat. Yeah, I'm uh I'm really I just love learning from um people like yourself. It's kind of why this show was born, um being able to learn about people's journeys, but specifically I personally am always intrigued. I got I w- I was a big gold and silver bug back in 2013 when you were diving deep into Bitcoin and I didn't get I didn't get into crypto until around 2017. Um and so just seeing the conviction of of early believers like yourself is is amazing and especially for you being a tech guy it's not really um it's not a surprise that's something that for me it just i didn't it didn't click it didn't i didn't get all of it um so i'd love for you just to take us back to the early days and tell us a little bit about your journey into crypto and bitcoin how you first heard about it what what kind of made you um uh I guess, orange pill, if you will, or kind of take, go off the deep dive and start learning about it and, uh, and, and go full force with conviction into, into the technology. Sure. Love to. Well, first I'd like to say the fact that we're all here talking about crypto, you know, we are already early. It's, I, I mean, I have tech friends who are, you know, very intelligent, and, and they've known me for a long time and we talked about crypto for a long time, but they, they don't buy crypto or they don't, yeah, they, they think it's still a crazy space. So they're, they're very much, you know, work at Google, focus on software engineering, nothing to do with crypto. Um, but how I got into it goes back actually back to, I guess, the start of Google. So, uh, after I graduated from Harvard, I came to Stanford for my PhD. And, you know, I was very much, I was academic driven. I thought, well, you know, after finishing college, I just, you know, obviously I go to grad school and keep, you know, keep staying in school and stay in academia. Uh, so I came out to Stanford to do my computer science PhD. And, and that was 1998. So you can tell how old I am. Uh, that was right when Google, like, and Larry and Sergey were still in the Gates Science Building in, at Stanford. Right, I, they were just like starting Google, the company, and so, so you know, it was basically the the, the dot com boom back then, the late ninety, uh, basically ninety eight, ninety nine, that period, and so you know, I, I'm working on my PhD, but a bunch of my friends, classmates, you know, they they didn't finish their PhD, they dropped off and you know, started companies, and also like start internship, you know, people kind of go work and have part time jobs working at startups. So I got really like into entrepreneurship and just working on stuff. And also day trading, actually. We, we were grass students on grass student stipends, day trading stocks. And everyone made a bunch of money and then lost it all <laughs> pretty much when the dot-com boom ended. Uh, but it's kind of a lot like crypto, you know, over the past cycles. Basically, they're like crazy, like pest.com kind of companies that, that shoot up and, and, and die down. Uh, but how I got into crypto from this was that during my time when I came out to Stanford, uh, 
I had a few good friends I met here at Stanford. So one guy was Bobby Lee. He graduated from Stanford undergrad. And so like we used to uh, play, you know, we're like, um, we're in this group called uh, SHIT, the Stanford Harvard Investment Team, just an informal group of, of folks who either like were at Stanford or graduated from Harvard. And so Bobby Lee was in there, Alfred Lin was in there, and Charlie Lee, his uh, Bobby's younger brother was was in there too, although he, he graduated from MIT, but he came out here to work uh, in the Bay Area. And so, you know, we used to like play poker and, and, uh, and go skiing and stuff up in Tahoe. And then it wasn't, so this was like early 2000s. Then it wasn't until 2012 or so and 13, so many years later, like more than a decade later, when, when um, and I had worked, so Bobby Lee and I had worked in China for a couple of years too after, uh, after, after school. And so Bobby was in Shanghai and he wanted to start a Bitcoin exchange because his brother, Charlie, so, so Charlie Lee is the, the creator of Litecoin. Um, so Charlie got into, into, you know, Bitcoin early and then said, I, you know, I want to create my own coin, right? So he created Litecoin and, and, you know, they were mining, Bobby and Charlie were mining crypto. And so then Bobby wanted to start a cryptocurrency exchange. And so he pulled me and said, you know, you know, let's, let's go found a cryptocurrency exchange in China because he was in, he was in Shanghai at the time. I had just moved from Beijing back to Silicon Valley. And I said, well, you know, crypto in China sounds a bit risky. And I, I, I just moved out of China because I wanted to be in the U.S. And um, yeah, but China was great. I lived there for a couple of years doing a startup, like the entrepreneur, like startup ecosystem there. And the people like, like engineers and hardworking engineers, it's like you can't beat China really uh, they like yeah they execute especially like mobile games uh, mobile apps they're so good at it um, but anyway I, I, I'm back in the US and Charlie or Bobby is trying to get me to start um, what so so Bobby Lee ended up starting um, BD, BDC China so in 2013 that became the largest cryptocurrency exchange in the world um, I ended up starting also with another friend Alex Liu who was also in the same group of, of friends back in the uh, early like dot com boom days, uh, uh, we started MyCoin. So basically, at the same time, 2013, we started the Taiwan exchange called MyCoin. And I also started the Stanford Bitcoin meetup at that time too, where we got a lot of people together too, to um, just talk about Bitcoin. And yeah, and then I guess it was quite early in that, you know, the the people who came to that meetup are kind of the people who you know ended up starting budget companies, and that you know, yeah, so it was a very small world then. Yeah, that was my long-winded answer. <laughs> no, I love that. I think um, I think giving some of that backstory. I mean, the fact that you're rubbing shoulders with the creator of Litecoin and, and uh, other entrepreneurs that are in the space building amazing exchanges. Because back then, um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about this. About you know that there that was like really during the Mount Gox days where there weren't really many exchanges. They weren't well known. You you really and a lot of them um, back in the early days collapse. And so uh, I'm curious if if that is kind of where this idea of building came from, was seeing kind of the instability and fragility of the early days of the Bitcoin market. Um, because something that's always fascinated with me about the early days of Bitcoin is that for people that don't understand or, or are new to the just kind of getting involved because of NFTs, Satoshi really wanted to, uh, he, he put this out there, he's obviously the synonymous person but in order for him to really communicate he was he was trying to find people with similar mindsets and beliefs because it, it was a very fragile network in the early days and so uh, two things if you want to talk about kind of where your passion for building came from and kind of the craziness uh, if if this is the wild west like back then was just like uh, I don't even know the um, like the Roman Empire of, of crypto but uh, but I'm curious if you would talk a little bit about your passion for building but also if you have any kind of uh, information you could share about how fragile the Bitcoin network was and if you knew 
um, anyone that was in, you know, from kind of your meetups in 2013, anyone that actually had correspondence with Satoshi, or if you had uh, a chance to kind of get to know anyone that got to pick his brain back in the early days? <laughs> well, Satoshi is a mysterious, mysterious figure. Well, so in terms of, I, I guess, uh, I guess the other thing I got into or why I got into Bitcoin was, you know, I, my background was basically um, like big data, AI, or data technologies. And so Bitcoin, you know, this is transparent ledger that anyone can see. Um, but another aspect is also is community. Like, you know, right now, you know, I started a, a NFT community, you know, project, OnChain Monkey. It's about building commu- this, this community, the OnChain Monkey community around, you know, our NFT collection. Really, you know, all these cryptos, including Bitcoin, is basically about building community. So, you know, Bitcoin has, you know, been building community since 2009 for, you know, 12, over 12 years now. And so that that's why it's, it's so valuable because it has, you know, the largest community of, you know, people, companies, businesses that are, you know, that have some interest in Bitcoin and want to see it succeed, right? Like, like Bitcoin, you know, there's no way it goes to zero because there's always going to be people who have some value like value in some way and and so yeah back to 2013 the the bitcoin community was much smaller but you know people were passionate about it and and i think i really saw this when there was so there's a conference in san jose there's like i think one of the very like early international bitcoin conferences it was at the san jose convention center uh i think around may 2013 so that one, that conference really got many people actually to to um, go from kind of a, a hobbyist in Bitcoin to actually switching and making it their career uh, because of the diverse people that came to that conference. It was it was not just a bunch of you know geeks or or, or crypto like I guess what you think of as like tech crypto people. It was you know there a diverse set. I mean there are regulators. There were um, you know you name it, the different types of business or tech people, um, entrepreneurs to to kind of just random people who, who like Bitcoin. They all showed up at this conference and there were like very intelligent conversations about Bitcoin and and really just about Bitcoin. It was, it was a Bitcoin conference. Um, but, you know, in that conference, that, so that was, I mean, also the companies, the companies they, that were very, like, um, I guess 2013, uh, Coinbase had a little boost there. You know, a couple of people from Coinbase were there. Uh, you know, they're trying to recruit and get people, you know, to to you know join their company. But it was kind of the start of, yeah, I guess many people's careers in, in crypto back back in, in that conference. Yeah, I think uh, one, it's just cool to to hear kind of the early days of building in the space and something that you touched on that I just want to go back to that I actually haven't heard like someone that an OG talk about it like this, but I think it's so relevant to kind of what we're seeing play out in the ecosystems that are like Ethereum and now you see Solana. But you talked about like the power of community. And I think you're 100% spot on, regardless of, you know, so there is like this matter of decentralization and having this an anonymous figure that's attached to Bitcoin. And it has like that storyline that so many um, people love to rally behind. And I think that is, it is a really cool aspect of Bitcoin story and why it'll always, um, why it will always be an amazing community because of the OGs that were around back in the day. But I'm sure that uh, as you've kind of built out and um, even with Charlie Lee, like starting, you know, Litecoin, you you kind of ran into Bitcoin maxis because of the strength of that community saying, you know, no, why are you trying to create other chains? Why are you trying to do this? Because uh, like this is this is superior. But in, in that regard, it, it is also like when you think about it, it's also because they have a, a, like a vested interest and they have bought into that community. Community. And so it's kind of like what you see in the NFT world now where it's like certain communities try to build up certain projects because they they have an interest in it. And so it, it that aspect is fascinating to me. And I'd love for you to talk about in the early days of like, 
of what you what you heard from you know people that really believed in Bitcoin and and then the birth of like some of these other cryptocurrencies if you felt kind of that tension back in the early days and uh and then also why you uh kind of opened up your mind to the the idea of exploring that there could be uh multiple chains and there could be uh, other currencies that really could evolve from from this original technology yeah i think it's kind of just following where you know smart people you know go to so so, for example, so as far as it was Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin had, yeah, you, know, you have all the Bitcoin maxes, but you had, you know, Bitcoin, you know, core developers, and there, there were a lot of smart people working on Bitcoin. And today, there are lots of smart people still working on Bitcoin. Uh, I think Ethereum, also, when it popped up, you know, Vitalik is this very intriguing, you know, figure. Uh, but more importantly, actually, Ethereum was very good at attracting developers, even before Ethereum launched. They were doing meetups all over the world and attracting developers to be interested in, in you know that project. Like when I was running the Stanford Bitcoin meetup, you know Vitalik came and, and talked before there was Ethereum, right? He was promoting the, the idea of smart contracts and getting developers to to form meetups also over the world to 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 basically start thinking about you know developing smart contracts. So like that building community is really important. Also, standardization is important. So. You know, like colored coins were out, you know, before there was Ethereum and, you know, ERC-20s. But basically Ethereum made, like, ERC-20 this really simple standard that then launched this ICO boom that happened, you know, four or five years ago. And same thing with ERC-721. Uh, so this this NFT standard is super simple. It's very basic. But because it is that simple standard that a bunch of people can easily use and, and you know, so like, you know, when we create ERC721 token, a bunch of marketplaces can support it. You know, like OpenSea being the biggest one, automatically supports that. Now that makes it that that's why last year, you know, a big part of why last year things really took off because everyone knew how to make a, and then you you people then attract their own communities to to you know basically uh, you know support or do something interesting with that that token, and we really see that with the board apes, right? Like that community has grown basically incredibly large and that is a kind of a big brand now. Although many people still don't know about board apes still. And I mean we are in this like little NFT world that we think everyone knows about it. But one of one of our community members, I think in the audience here, Ryan, I think, he, he posted this as a or no, was it Ryan or someone else? Anyway, there's one of our uh, monkey community members. He posted on LinkedIn to like his big LinkedIn community network asking do you know the board apes yes or no and surprisingly 50 percent of people had no clue what the board apes were in, in, in this network so so we are still early uh, but basically yeah the community and, and like standards i think are are important i think the next standard we'll see with nfts is really around the the kind of the ip and, and legal rights because it's so confusing you know like if you have a crypto punk like what rights do you have if you have a board ape what rights do you have these are all a little bit murky and unclear. I mm. think when someone really has these IP standards very clear, it will also help for NFTs. Yeah, when you think about that, when a couple of questions formed from that, uh, one was earlier, so I'll start with that, and if uh, and and then if this this other question is relevant, I'll come back to it. But one thing that you talked about was kind of the ease, uh, like why Ethereum really blew up. Well, it it created and it um, sucked in people that were looking to develop smart contracts. So you have developers flocking that um, to this point, like they may have been watching from the sideline. Is a similar feeling it last year that I had, for example, because I was around during the ICO boom. That was really when I got fascinated and went down the rabbit hole. And I love to research and figure out, but I couldn't figure out my place because I'm not uh, like a computer engineer. I couldn't help with developing code. So I didn't have a place in kind of in, in like the sector. And so when NFTs came around and it's like Web3 came around and everyone, regardless of your skills or your talent, like you're, there's a place where you can network and build community. And it's like, oh shit, like now I have a place where I can go and, and be able to do something. Even if it's just starting from the ground up, I can like network and build and grow. And so it, it like 
allowed for that possibility. And so I love that you brought that up because it also took my mind back when I was in college uh, in around 2010, 11. And I remember trying to download a Bitcoin wallet because I had heard about it. Um, and I had heard about this, like this internet money, and I was curious about it. And I could not figure figure out for the life of me just how to download a wallet onto my onto my laptop. And so I like, I was like, F this, this isn't gonna, like, this won't be sticking around, like, uh, and and here we are uh, over a decade later, and it's, like, turning into, uh, it's the biggest cryptocurrency in the world. However, my point is, as user interface, it gets easier. And as we're able to allow more people to find the ways that they can kind of interact and provide value on the blockchain, like you said, it, it continues to go more and more mainstream for that reason. And I think that is a really powerful story that uh, that we need to remember in Bitcoin is that that is kind of like what we've seen evolve over the years is that ease of transaction, the ease of being able to build software that's better. And I love that you kind of said you surround yourself with smart people because it kind of goes to that. And, um, and so I'm curious if that is a big factor, you think, in the next few years of how this evolves even more is is the user interface and and it becoming easier. And I'm curious if you think, um, you know, in a couple of years from now, people will be using the blockchain and not even realize they're using it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, user interface is such a big part of, you know, adoption. And it's, we're still early days in, in that. I mean, it's still so hard to use MetaMask. Uh, people lose thousands of dollars every day because of just the challenge of using MetaMask properly. Um, and then it's, people want to use it on their phone and there's all these issues with the phone, using the phone for, for this type of thing. Um, it's, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, in terms of, okay, uh, this is kind of funny too in, in that like this whole, like Bitcoin, I mean, it's been more than a decade, but you know, Bitcoin is still not easy to use even for, even for people who, have many resources like here here's a kind of a weird but funny uh maybe sad example too so the bitfinex hack right that happened a number of years ago right they recently caught two people you know a couple who were holding you know like 3.6 billion dollars worth of bitcoin and and the gov- the u.s government was able to actually confiscate seize that right just a few days ago um or I think it was a week ago now, but the news came out, I think two days ago, uh, that, and, and the reason for it was because these two, so basically you have these two billionaire uh, hackers, right? Like they, they hold like three, $4 billion worth of Bitcoin. They have all the resources in the world, uh, but they could not secure their Bitcoin because they they had their private keys in the cloud. And then the, the, the U.S. government was able to basically, you know, get the search warrant to 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 pull that data right from the the services of the but the web two services that controlled that that those file servers so so i mean depending how you look at it you know it's the government did a good job but uh these criminals you know well you know it's it is what it is but it's it shows how how far it is to to handle bitcoin or any of this crypto you know properly you know, if you have custody, you know, you really need to know what to do because the tools out there are not great. And they're all, you know, people are coming after you. Like, like all the hackers are coming after each of us. And for certain people, the government is coming after them too, right? So it's, you know, it's uh, hard to, um, it, yeah, so there's, there's, you know, it's, um, it's really hard to design good user experiences, right? When you have all these, uh, you know, the security issues mm-hmm. that you're trying to balance. Do you think eventually, because one um, area that I've always been fascinated about when it comes to crypto is, you know, you say you are your own safe, uh, you know, when you own your own crypto, if it's off of a centralized exchange, you you now have complete control over over everything. You, you're not trusting any sort of middle source like a bank or an exchange like Coinbase to hold your money. You're holding it. You're the only one who has access to it. If someone hacks and takes down Coinbase, you 
you still have your 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 cryptocurrency, and that's uh, always fascinated me. Um, but when it comes to user interface, it's uh, one of those things that it's much easier for people not to learn about kind of being your own custodian when it comes to uh, decentralized wallets. And so I'm curious um, if you think you you know, if user interface will become even better for people that want to custodian their own funds, uh, or do you think that over time um, people really aren't going to care about like be, like being the custodian of their own funds and be, like having decentralized wallet, or do you think that the education around that will evolve, and that you, do you think there will be easier ways um, to do it uh, so that people can really not have to rely on on like these centralized exchanges to to hold their assets? Yeah, well, I think ultimately people should really care about self custody and having control of their own uh, property. The, the problem is that right now, most people, especially new people who enter the space, they don't know how to do that properly and they're gonna lose a lot of money um, when learning that, you know, how to self-custody. And so, you know, I think for new people coming in, it makes sense to use Coinbase. And that's why we're also very excited when, you know, Coinbase NFT launches whenever they launch, uh, you know, this year, because they're gonna offer both you know, the self-custody way that OpenSea has, but also the, the custody way that Coinbase is, is good at doing. So that will protect new people and, and you know, we'll get new people into the NFT space uh, because of that. Uh, but I think ultimately, after they learn how to use this properly and do self-custody, they should move off of Coinbase and, and self-custody. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think it is important. I'm a big advocate of self-custody too. I mean, if you, if uh, everyone that held on an exchange like Mt. Gox back in the day lost almost all their funds, uh, and and now we have much more secure centralized exchanges um, that that have a lot more insurance and things like this. But at the same time, um, it's just a matter of like like you said, owning your own property, and that is really an important thing, especially as we evolve as a society that you're, you're able to control your own assets. And I think something that is um, fascinating, and I don't know if you've, uh, if you have any opinion on this, but like the whole aspect of financial literacy and, um, you know, is very, very low throughout the world, but especially in the United States, you know, financial literacy, is something that's not really taught in schools. And so now that we have this whole infrastructure that by nature is, is like a financial infrastructure, do you, how do you think think that plays out with like the future our future generations and how we evolve as a society that you know like we have young kids that are making money on the blockchain now and are able to do it so easily and they're learning about like being their own like custodian uh, their own money and so do you think this is kind of how we evolve is like we make like the user interface get easier and then you see you know our younger generations really grab onto it and we kind of just evolve um, into a smarter species, if you will, uh, is that kind of is that kind of how you see it playing out, or do you think that there's just like mass uh, people kind of go mainstream? They kind of learn about it by kind of testing out the waters, and then they slowly evolve on uh, onto like these other exchanges. Because uh, I th- I just see a world like where my parents they'll never custodian their own accounts. You know, there will be people like the the smart guys that you know at Google maybe will never. Uh, own or you know move to be their own uh, custodian and so I'm curious how you think this plays out if it's more when you say like we're still early how long do you think does it take a generation or two for this to really evolve or do you see like in a, in 10 or 20 years like the landscape being really different as well I don't think it takes that long and no I, I think all the smart people at Google they're gonna you know join us you know in the not too, you know, distant future, uh, really. So I think digital assets, I, I think, are and, and so I mean the technology around digital assets and applications are all are pretty new. So, you know what, you know, like how much should a board ape be worth, right? Like that's unclear. You know, we don't know if it should be a hundred ETH floor, or it should be ten, or it should be a thousand. It could be any of those, uh, and, you know, like you know, five years from now, right? So these things we're all learning, but it is digital assets. There is something really real here that that makes, um, yeah, 
and it's, it's also about community. So if you look at kids playing Roblox in these you know games, or or live in this you know digital world, right? The digital good has really does have value. So it is as valuable as the physical piece of gold that you know you can find, you know, in, in the river somewhere. And so and you know the next generation, it's it's part of like they they just know it right because that's the community. Uh, is you know buys buys into that, and so then it is going to be true that these those two assets are valuable, and we're we're doing like we're seeing this gradual shift with NFTs where like this bigger and bigger community does recognize should have you know high value, right? Um, while you know other people who have, have you know don't know the first thing about NFTs they just think we're crazy buying expensive JPEGs, but you know that's just it's not just you know that's just they're they are missing it. I mean you could say the same thing about gold like. Why do you, like, why does a little rock that's shiny yellow color, you know, why is that worth something? It's just because, you know, the whole world, most of the world, you know, believes that. I and mean, there's a community around you know, gold for, that's been around for thousands and thousands of years, right? So, and so we're, we're just in this digital assets, um, like, uh, you know, community building just in the last, you know, decades. So it's very new. Does it blow your mind that we are like the front, like we are the early frontier? Like this is something that I'm sure you know. Like this will be around thousands of years from now. Like our species will be completely potentially different, and and it, it's starting in our generation. Like we're living through a momentum sh- a momentum shift. Um, and, and I'm just curious if you ever think about like the magnitude of that. Yeah, I mean that's the whole like the singularity is near kind of idea, right? Like if things are, um, you know, changing exponentially, you know, it's we, we like if you if you look a hundred years in the future, there's no point because it just can be completely different. So we can only look, you know, in the next couple of years, and kind of. But even then, like the rate of slope just goes up straight, and you, you can't. Is that be, what, is that because the, is the just the exponential curve that's been happening with the development around technology is that what kind of has created that um, recently is because of how fast and how how um, how much speed and how quick things have have kind of uh, evolved since basically the early nineties. Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, I mean, technology overall. But I guess, yeah, we're seeing it in digital technologies, yeah, that exponential growth. I mean, other things don't grow exponentially. Like, you know, like our our, our lifespans are still going to be, you know, maybe 80, 90 years. That hasn't changed much in 100 years. Uh, so, you know, we can't prevent that, you know, like or death, right? That, that's like certain for us. But, but yeah, I mean, we, we don't know what's going to happen with, with technology and, and digital assets is part of that. Yeah, I love it. I I just uh, I've been really enjoying this conversation and chatting with you. I do want to make sure because you have um, created and I see so many on chain monkeys, a really strong community. Um, and so I'd love just to have you have a chance to talk about that. But one thing that um, that you talk about is that on chain monkey is the first PFP project created in a single transaction. So for some, I don't think it necessarily is recognizable the importance of that. So I'd love for you to explain why that's significant in regards to how the project was created and how that's different than possibly other PFPs that have been created. Sure, sure. So so first, uh, the, the company, so I started an NFT company last year, and it was about, you know, recognizing communities for, for cause-based communities, you know, um, or rather causes have big communities, and they could benefit from NFTs and digital assets for you know creating more value for the community to then also do you know do good for the world basically we're thinking of you know so first we're so meta good is a for-profit company but we want to you know make profit while also doing good for the world so that was kind of our goal and then leverage nfts for that and we end up launching on-chain monkey so this this particular you know collection and that has become our company basically our company focuses on building the on-chain monkey community which can further our original goal of you know, doing good and doing well. And we, so we're actually working on a more traditional uh, NFT PFP collection of, you know, like hand-drawn, like we had, you know, we, we had a, a great artist in our team working on, you know, a nice drawing-based uh, collection. But I was interested in doing something that was like on-chain, like art blocks and some others that, 
that are you know before back in you know 2021 or you know a year ago and so i was working on this um also and end up we end up launching this first on you know like september 11th last year and so this is basically it's completely on chain and we wanted to do it and on chain so on chain means uh i mean i guess that on chain is a very confusing term so because like every NFT is on chain, right? It has a tradable element on chain. ERC721 is on chain, but uh, but NFTs have also this image, right? Uh, or, or rather, many people think of NFTs as having a JPEG, which is true. Many NFTs have a pointer that that points to a JPEG. Um, so NFTs often have a image metadata associated with it. Uh, they also have you know, other metadata, so like you know like words or or attributes or properties, traits about the, the NFT. So that data, like the metadata, including the image, uh, usually it lives not on the Ethereum blockchain itself, but in file storage. Um, it could be on a centralized file storage, like you know Google Drive or or Amazon, you know S3 or or something, uh, or it could be on decentralized file storage, like like IPFS. And that's typically how it's done. Um, so for, for when I say on chain, and the, re the reason I want to do this on chain monkey. Uh, uh, NFT was I want to put not use the that storage uh, that's you know on like IPFS but directly on Ethereum. Uh, there it's also very expensive. Like you can, you can store lots, as much as you want on Ethereum, but you just have to pay you know like millions of dollars to, to do it, and it's also kind of wasteful. Like it clogs the whole network, so other people can't use it either, right? So you you don't want to do that either. So so here. I guess the branching monkey, what we, what, you know, what I did was create um, a whole collection that's on chain, but only using one transaction, uh, and so that part is important because yeah, it, it saves on how much is stored on the Ethereum blockchain. There are limits to how much you can put in one transaction, one contract, and doesn't clog up you know the network for other people, and and being on chain completely means that it's there you know forever or as long as Ethereum is around. So, which can be a long time. Yeah, I love that. I think that it's a that's a fascinating concept that people don't understand about IPFS. Is that you're actually you're you're like it's almost like you're outsourcing some of that that metadata so that it can be read. Is if is am I understanding that right? And and if you're on it, if since you did it all on chain, it doesn't basically use that it, it, IPFS. It's it's all stored directly on uh, the Ethereum network. That's right. So it's actually the the images you see, like these these monkey images, are computer generated code, uh, dynamically generated. So there's a little program done on Ethereum blockchain in the smart contract that makes these images on the fly when you query the yeah the blockchain through a, a client. So that's why the images. If you can, you chat a little bit about because it's fascinating to me that this, if it's done on chain, like you said, it's uh, it's almost the it's programmable coded the images, and so um, I'm I'm assuming this like the simplicity of them and the way that they look it is significant in some way. Then and kind of the story behind them. If you want to talk a little bit more about the because uh, it kind of fascinates me about how um, how that code plays into the images that were created um and and if you could have created different images like how does how does that play out when you're when you're creating kind of the smart contract and um and is it just be the file size has to be much smaller or does it limit what yeah. you could basically make it look like tell us a little bit more about about the data right. behind so the it limits, exactly so the limits are basically so so in ethereum um how much uh you it's based on gas like for a smart contract when you like write a smart contract to the chain you're using gas and so the limit is basically how many, how much gas you use so like a, a typical block in the, on ethereum is is or is 20 million gas but it can go up to 40 million gas so if you're sending a transaction you know if you're going more than 20 million you're, you're pretty much taking up the whole block and miners you have to pay a bunch of extra gas to get miners to mine that the uh, so what? Wait, basically, what for Unchained Monkey? You know, it, well, the goal is to create a, a you know ten thousand PFP collection, and so that means we have to not gener generate not just one image, but we had to generate ten thousand images um, in that single transaction, 
and they all have to be unique and you know different in an interesting way and so kind of that was a challenge of kind of designing like what are the the properties or traits that will make a collection interesting um and create 10,000 of them and also have you know cool collectible properties and so that's what you see in in these monkeys but basically you know there are seven standard traits you know like the hat the clothes the, the fur the the eyes the mouth background and and then within them you know there are different different variations yeah and then the distribution is also interesting so like so sometimes when you, you you generate this the distribution just might be like they're evenly distributed or it's like 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 you know there's like 10 of these and then one of these like they're like these big step functions but in this case like this the, we also kind of compacted this this interesting distribution of all these traits that uh yeah that, that and also kind of fits in in the small size so with the, the uh with with the tr- single transaction that was created was it a was it a pretty like was it a really uh excessive transaction tell us a little bit about like that moment when you actually put it through on the ethereum blockchain yeah so it's the first time i, I sent it actually for some reason it, it failed so that was that was like a and i wasn't sure why but i thought well okay let's just try it again and i did the exact same thing the second time and then the second time it, it worked so yeah i mean i had tested it on like locally, and it, it should have worked. So it was weird that it did fail. But you know, things always they're they're always like random bugs that happen. Yeah, yeah. I love. I just. Uh, I think it is fascinating because you. Um, I just love a lot of the different types of um, innovative creators that are out there that are doing things not only creatively with design, but then they're also doing things with blocks and and uh, kind of using the technology in ways that it hasn't been used before. So it always fascinates me. I'm. Uh, I'm. Thank you for going through a little bit of that. And I. I got to be honest. Like it's. Um, it's it's clear that the monkeys, the on-chain monkeys, have kind of um, found their way into this space as they're all over the place. Uh, and so I was actually just looking through and admiring some of them. But uh, obviously, there's been quite a community that's been created around uh, around these guys. And so I'd love for you just to chat about kind of how you thought about the development of community, because you've you have a very uh, unique perspective when it comes to community, even taking the the early days of Bitcoin and and the evolution of Bitcoin network and really tying that back to the community of people that were involved. And I think that's fascinating. So you understand the importance of community all the way back to the origination of Bitcoin. And so when you're when you're creating like this new community, what are some of like the core principles that you were like hoping to find and and like uh, live out um, in the community that you wanted to create? Yeah, well, I think we, we started it with, uh, well, first my co-founder, so a humanitarian in the audience, and, and Bill Tai. Uh, so the three of us started this company. And then right after we started it, we went out and, you know, talked to our, our friends. And basically, basically we, we did, like, uh, friends and family, um, like, funding round. But it wasn't, the purpose wasn't to raise a bunch of money for our company. In fact, we kept everyone's check size very small. Uh, it was to attract them to be part of our community and and then they're with our community you know they're, they're all like monkey holders now too and so and with the monkeys you know we, we did this this uh, free mint and we got a bunch of people in you know and and because uh the price has and so the price has been steadily going up you know we have you know a good community of you know people who kind of st- stay with us and understand our values and we've been like our values are very core to our community. So, you know, so you see people typing rise everywhere on Twitter and in our discord. And those are our values, respect, integrity, sustainability, and experimentation. And, and so anyway, that, that's a big part of building communities that people have, have a shared, shared values and also the wanting to, you know, do good while doing well. So, you know, very early on, you know, one of our community members offered to donate so he's an audience, you know, uh, Paulin in the audience offered to donate, you know, one of his monkeys. And so that was actually a big moment for us because it was, it was within 
I think the first month, even less than the first month that the monkeys launched. So, you know, he wanted to donate. And then we, we had good, because our, like, uh, MediGood was about talking to nonprofits and developing PFP or developing MTs for nonprofits. You know, we had um, a good network of nonprofits that we wanted to support. And one of them was Giga Connect. So that, and so Giga Connect became also a part of our early days of forming this community of, you know, helping. And Giga Connect is a project that is trying to connect the whole world, every school in the world to the internet, which is a very noble cause and also relevant for NFTs. Um, so, so Paul and donated his, his monkey and the proceeds went to Giga Connect and we had an auction and then uh, a number of people bid on it. And then the winners were, it was a kind of bidding contest between Roam of Dapper Labs and Charlie Lee of Litecoin. And so finally Roam won it. And so, and that first auction, you know, really, you know, kind of ra raised the level of our, of our, you know, community. And so that was like an early, you know, milestone for us. And then we've done a number of other um, charity type of projects along the way that have, you know, been, been well received and, you know, our community really, really stands behind. I love it. It's uh, it's amazing all of the all of the stories you have about the space and how you've gotten to today has been just fascinating. We're gonna transition here in just a minute to community corner. If you have a question for Danny, go ahead and hit that request button, and we'll bring you up here in just a minute. Um, this was your chance to ask a question, maybe that wasn't covered or something you'd like a little more um, information on. If you can't come on stage, you can also go to the top pin tweet and post there uh, what whatever your question is, and I can get to those in a minute. Um, but yeah, go ahead and start hitting those request buttons, um, because after this question, we're going to uh, go over to you guys. But for um, as we start to close out a little bit, um, I would love to ask this, because you've been in the space um, for so long, uh, and, since, and since a lot of people haven't been in, I'd love for you just uh, in kind of your reflection of your entire journey in the crypto and, and now NFT space, um, what was something that you wish you would have known better when you were just getting started for people that are in the audience that are just getting started? What is something, a piece of advice you can give them about, um, kind of some, some things that you've learned on your journey that could help others? Well, I think in this space, especially NFTs now, it's really easy to be sucked in and be in it like 24 seven. It's like, it's an addiction. Uh, so it's, it's really like having good life balance and, and, you know, like not spending, and especially with COVID or, you know, the, the whole, like last two years, just people in front of a computer screen all day. But I think it's just, you know, finding a good balance in life and yeah. I actually love that answer. I think um, I've you're not the first one who's actually brought up the life balance. Like at the end of the day, we are human still. Uh, we're not robots, and so uh, it is important, especially when you're in this space. It can it can really start to suck and vacuum you, you in because you feel like um, even even when you're off for an hour, you're like you feel like you can miss things, which you can. But that's also just like. I think I think one thing that's fascinating. I don't know if you can resonate with this, but you know, like in, when you think of communities around the world, it's not like you have to know what's going on in every single community globally. Uh, and so you aren't like before the internet, you didn't really have to worry about that. But when when you look at the information age and you like everything's so quick and twenty four seven, you're like wanting to know what's going on in every community around, and you can actually access and see what's happening um, because because we have like the metaverse is popping up. And so you it feels like you're always missing out on something, but we've always been missing out on something. It's just a matter of finding a way to be present and in, in like in the moment. And I don't know if you if you resonate with that, but that's just what that made me think about is like we've always had all these communities. It's just that uh, we've always we haven't been able to watch uh, every other community um, at the same time as trying to like build our own lives too. Yeah, I think as humans, you know, our, our basic needs have been the same, you know, for thousands, tens of thousands of years, right? You know, we need to eat, sleep, and, and so on, uh, and shelter. Uh, so, yeah, I think that hasn't changed. 
but yeah, the the information age in terms of like all this information that's coming at us. That so that is where also you know going back to the singularity, the technological singularity, like like you know machines and computers can do handle all this data, uh, but you know we we can't. So and, yeah, and also yeah, NFTs is also like this crazy space where there's so much value creation last year. You know, it's even like our community, like everyone in our community who got in on the mint. They got in because they were on twenty four seven, or they were on just at the right time when, you know, this thing popped up. Yeah. Right. And so then, they're in our community, and it's been great, right? Um, like it's like, um, if they weren't basically on at that time, you know, then they wouldn't be with us today. So yeah, it's like you feel like you have to be on all the time. But so there was it, yeah, it's a good lesson too about there's always going to be other micro communities that join and amazing people that are building communities in this space. So even if you miss out on the on-chain monkeys or you know there's there's a hundred others that are coming down the pipeline and so it's just like always remembering that you know the world isn't one massive community where you know what everyone's doing at the same time in the same case is going to be in the metaverse there's going to be kind of niches where you find people that have similar values to you and and i think that that's an important thing to recognize so i appreciate you saying that all right let's yeah, go totally. let's go ahead and move over into uh community corner we've got some people asking to come up Um, hold on. I'm having, I was going to play my transition, but, uh, my podcasting system is having an air. Let's try it now. Get your catnip and questions ready. It's time for you to take the stage for another segment of Community Corner. Damn technology. What's going on, Bennett? Thanks for coming up on stage. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks, uh, Denny, for all the information. I feel like I should have paid like a thousand dollars to get to even hear all that stuff. Uh, my my first question, I got to, like kind of a two part question, but my first question is just like in layman's terms, or just you know, just a few words. What makes like on chain monkeys different than like every other NFT? I know it says it's on chain. I just don't really, I guess, understand all that. Yeah, well, I mean, one is the technical part, but really, it's, it's then it's also the community, right? Like the the NFT community is more than just the NFT, so. It's like what you know our community is, what our you know what we're, what our goals are for the community, and all those things. But in terms of just the on-chain part, um, so on-chain is, I guess there's three things about, about our thing. Well, PFP project, so PFP being you know like profile picture collection. Um, that the second one is one transaction, which is it was created in one transaction. So instead of sending multiple transactions into the Ethereum blockchain to create it, or or, mint, or when you mint it, you have to do extra stuff to create that, that particular uh, NFT. This was all done in one transaction. Uh, and then the third one is just the on-chain part, which is, I guess a simple way to think of it is the image that you see, the monkey image, is stored mm -hmm. on the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, typically, the images of NFTs are not stored on it. Some awesome. That's, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking, but I'm I'm not as smart as you. And then my my second thing kind of goes along with that. Since you're follow, you got a group of like really smart people. You said you had a really big group or a coalition of smart people. If you start one of semi-smart people, can I be in that? <laughs> Everyone has their their value and, and talent. <laughs> that's a funny way to I love it. I love that, Bennett. Thank you. We are going to start a semi-smart people circle, and uh, we we will uh, we'll make it happen. Uh, I loved that question. Um, all right, uh, we've got Seed of the Universe. What's going on? Thanks so much for coming up on stage with us. Hey there, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, I guess my question is: um, Have you guys ever considered how to make a fungible nft project fungible you mean like launching a fungible token or launching like one like a erc 1155 because like making an erc 20 token but then making multiples of a pfp project that essentially aren't singular mints per token but pairing them in a liquidity pool and then burning off the additional tokens so that a holder can only hold one of these nfts out of the burnt liquidity pool at a time 
I've just been playing with this idea. Okay. And um, yeah. so the the very first NFTs were actually ERC twenty tokens. Have you heard of this project, um, Digital Zones, of Immaterial Pictorial uh, Sensibility, by Mitchell no. Chan? That was a project from four 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 and a half years ago, like tw early twenty seventeen, I think. Um, but basically, yeah, there was an ERC twenty token. There was an art project that you. You bought it and you burned it, and like the the act of burning was proof that you actually owned it. The idea was if you didn't burn it, you didn't actually own it. Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah. But in terms of like for now, um, yeah. So we have two standards, right? ERC twenty and ERC seven twenty one that are pretty widely used, and also ERC eleven fifty five, which is a mix of the fungible and the non fungible aspect in in one contract. And, you know, I think your idea of like creating some different DeFi mechanisms. Yeah, these are all like good experiments to, to do in a project. Because I've, I've seen um, I've seen liquidity pools with NFT tokens on Solana blockchain, but I've never seen I've been afraid, frankly, to try creating a liquidity pool out of a ERC 20 or with a ERC 7. Uh, yeah, I, I think these are all possible. Uh, the, I mean, the other aspect of doing these, that that type of thing with DeFi and NFTs is, is around, especially for U.S. people, is around securities laws. Not only we're talking about concerned not a security, but if you add security elements to it, then it doesn't, you know, you're, you're turning into a security, and then there's a lot more regulatory stuff that you have to do. To do it properly. Yeah. Got it. Well, I'm a seed of the universe, so I, I don't really let those rules apply to me. <laughs> I love yeah. I love the uh, exploration, though. I just think like when you you can tell that you've been thinking about you know different aspects of uh, of the tech, and I think that's um, I just love seeing people exploring that because especially for people that are getting in because of NFTs, like then I just think it's a great evolution and path of of then being able to explore DeFi and other, understand the basics of how blockchain evolved from the early days in the beginning and so it is a, it's amazing to see how uh, once you're in one thing you're able to start like learning so much about different aspects as well thanks for coming up ismail's up here now what's going on man hey what's up carl thanks again for a uh, a great show as always with great guests you always you don't cease to amaze us with like uh, the guests you bring in so uh, the question I have is, how do you see the evolution of NFT tying up with, with the, the physical aspect or the real world aspect? Right now, we know it's like mostly like digital. And, and how do you see it tying up with like, and the use of it in a, in a, a real world? Aspect? Yeah, I, I think we'll see more and more of that. So basically around experiences events i think basically because especially like you know on chain monkeys and you know apes and these other they're, they're nft communities so these communities you know they also besides you know hang out in the metaverse like in twitter spaces or maybe sandbox they also want to hang out in the real world and uh, and around conference or like we friends right like recon in minneapolis uh in, in may uh and so the monkeys were also going to be doing more events we, we we did two last year around nyc nft nyc and also the miami um conference uh, we're going to do more this year and so yeah around you know real world events also real world um basically impact that's the other thing we want to do and so last year you know some of the some of the terrible or for good aspect of things we we accomplished you know is very much real world impact that we want like measurable real world impact is, is what we want do you see a lot of data system things too like titles for houses things like that going eventually onto the blockchain oh oh definitely that was something i worked on also many years ago uh land title with nfts uh i, I think those things are, are coming in the future but they take time because you basically need the government to to uh, enforce it uh but it, i think it's going to come 
Yeah, I love it. Ismail is a, is a real estate agent as well, so I want to make sure to tie that in. Thanks so much, Ismail, for coming up. Uh, always hey. amazing questions. Thank you so much. And, and it was great. Like the touch on the mental health aspect was amazing. I, I love uh, I love everything you guys like talked about today. Thank you for uh, for the show. Yeah, of course. All right, let's take one more question. We've got Alpha Andy on the stage. What's going on, man? Thanks for joining us. A fellow. <laughs> What's up, man? I had Thanks to bring up a you. fellow on-chain monkey. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, I just had uh, two questions. One for Steve. How come you're not wearing your development shirt? And then two uh, good things wanted me to ask why he should get a close 26. Uh, Danny. <laughs> okay, so th this is, a, I guess, a on-chain monkey specific, um, I guess, uh, thing. So It's, a, it's so, the inside talk. It's the insider. It's the inside but, club. It's the inside jokes. But it's, but it's related to on-chain aspect, though, because we're trying to make this collection all on-chain. So it's like in one transaction, it has to be very compact. So all the traits are numbers, are named, or the names of the traits are numbers. And so... You know, when, so like, uh, so Alpha Andy is saying 26, close 26 is, is a specific, uh, it, it's like in the apes, if you say like the cowboy hat or, or something, or something specific, right? Pizza, right? The, the pizza mouth, right? These are very, like, people know what that is. So, like, in, in our in our community, like, close 26, or, or actually, not even all our community knows this because it's kind of, it's still very much a inside thing, but it just happens. To, so, like, uh, close 26 was the my, for my PFP. The one you see is, is a close 26, and it just happens a few other people on our team just coincidentally had a close 26, and it became the thing that people on the team have close 26. And and as Alpha Andy made it a thing, he, he <laughs> yeah, that's it, why you see him on the because, yeah, you got I see you got close 26, Andy. You got it. You you had to bring it up because you saw everyone on the team have it. You're like, yeah, that's right. We're special. We're cool. You, you're, it was, you're... A, it was an accident. It was an accident <laughs> that it happened, and you know, I guess that's how life works. I love it. No, that's amazing. I love that story, and I love you just taught me something about the collection too. About you know the the fact that it is. It's because it is. It's an information system, which makes sense why it's just a number then for traits, and uh, that's actually really cool. I love that. Um, well, thank you so much. Uh, Danny for coming on is there anything before we head out that you wanted to um, share about uh, what's going on with collection anything that you're up to um, personally just an opportunity for you to kind of shill or talk about whatever you want for the last minute or two well, well first you know thank you for inviting me this is a great show really enjoy being here I guess the, the, la the thing I'll end with is we are doing our dessert drop on Friday and tomorrow night we're going to be doing a live spaces to do a kind of like a reveal. The randomization for the drop will be done live also on chain. And, you know, so it's, everyone knows it's fair. Uh, and we're using Chainlink VRF for that. So the people are familiar with Chainlink, they're um, also kind of like an, I guess, an OG project. They've been around a couple of years, but they, they're, they do um, Oracle data, which is actually very important. And also we talked about real life to blockchain, right? So that's what, Chainlink helps you link. They help you link the oracles linked to you know real world stuff onto the blockchain. But they also provide this thing called VRF, verified random function, which is actually quite important. You know, verified randomness, uh, basically a transparent way to prove that something was done in a fair random way. And so we're using that for our event tomorrow night to show which dessert all the monkeys got. So that'll be kind of a live live um, event that we'll, we'll do. And then everyone will, will know which desserts everyone got and who got. Basically, we have these dessert threes called the Celestial Cape that is going to be a high-value item in our collection. So we're excited to see who, who, who gets those tomorrow night. Oh, that's exciting. And uh, so if you... If you wanted to be able to be involved in this, um, is it something that was already like a, like a snapshot was taken? Or if you get one, you would be able to be a part of it? So the snapshot was taken February 1. So it's all on the Ethereum chain. Okay. Uh, but the drop will happen. So, so basically the snapshot and then the reveal will happen kind of tomorrow night. And then they will be airdropped to all the monkeys on Friday. So people can trade you know, on OpenSea and other wherever the, 
the token is is listed. So, so but, I guess that's where you can. Yeah, to be involved though, you would have been if you were holding on February first, you'll be getting the airdrop. That's right. Awesome. That's exciting. Um, well, I'm excited for that. I'm actually going to be uh, having to check out what the desserts look like. Now you've got me curious um, how the desserts look on chain. It sounds delicious. I want to give you a huge shout out, uh, Danny. Thank you for coming on the show to chat about your journey so far in the Web3 space. The Crazy About Crypto show does not accept paid advertisements or paid requests to come on the show. The quality of guests and educational content provided is essential. This show is run by loyal listeners through the establishment of the Crazy Carl Collective, where 100% of the Genesis NFTs are rewarded to listeners for the next two years by actively engaging in learning and listening to the show and helping build the growth of the collective. Web3 allows us to give value back to consumers, and I thank each one of you for joining live tonight to help learn about the innovation that web3 brings to each of us and challenge you to continue learning and growing in this space if you enjoyed the show please review or follow so we can see you at another show in the future you can learn about the crazy carl collective collection and find the official OpenSea link in the link tree on our bio also tonight there is a special po app you can claim by heading over to the po app app and putting in the code word danny upside down which happens to be H-U-U-E-P. Once again, that's all lowercase H-U-U-E-P. If you are in the collective, we will also head over to Discord after the show for a game night after party hosted by Doge Alliance and Franco. This has been another production of Guttercat Studios. All conversations with Crazy Carl are for educational purposes only. You should never take financial advice from a cat or anybody really, especially financial advisors. Take control of your own financial future and do your own research always. That's all for now. Until next time, we'll see you in the metaverse.